0: That's what we do. We're not just kind of hiding behind, you know, email and phones and things like that. We're in the trenches with our borrowers. And, you know, I would say that our underwriting, it doesn't stop when we close a loan. I mean, We're getting, for the most part, financial reporting every month for every borrower. And we're not just getting it and filing it away somewhere. We're actually looking at it. And so we're staying really close to these borrowers from, you know, the time of inception all the way through maturity of the loan.
1: All right. Hey, 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 everyone. You're listening to The Alternative Universe. This is a show for financial advisors, fund managers, and those who want to navigate the diverse landscape of alternative investments and the opportunities that lie beyond the conventional. For those of you that have been following the show, you can see by now that we've had a variety of different guests, which I suppose follows our theme of The Alternative Universe. And our guest today has made a career out of helping founders and business leaders realize their dreams. Currently as the co-founder and fund manager of Meriwether Group Capital, I'm pleased to welcome Jamie Shulman to the pod. Jamie, welcome. Steve, thanks so much for having me. Awesome, man. So before we get into you know, Merriweather and what you've been working on in the private credit sector, um, tell us a little bit about how you got here. I, I don't think that you started off saying, I want to work in private credit. <laughs> no, know, definitely
0: not. <laughs> Uh, so I just as a quick background on myself. I, I first of all I live here in Portland, Oregon. Proud to be in the Pacific Northwest, where I've been for most of my life. Up until founding Meriwether Group Capital, I had been in commercial banking for 27 years. That was my entire career was basically all in commercial lending, helping entrepreneurs and founders, working with teams doing credit as small as kind of mom and pop businesses to more kind of core middle market. And really everything in between. My entire life's work has really been on the lending side, which I've uh, obviously enjoyed uh, to get me to this point. That's amazing.
1: How how did you find yourself in in the world, not just of banking, but specifically in lending?
0: Yeah, well, um, you know, I kind of come from a banking family, and so maybe I fell kind of backwards into it. My dad had been in banking, community banking for 30 years in the kind of Seattle area, My sister started her career in banking, so it was kind of a family business. You know, I'll be honest with you, I don't think anyone goes to college to try to get a banking degree because I don't think it exists. So, But it was kind of what I was familiar with growing up, and so it was an opportunity that I got out of college, and I found that I really enjoyed it, and so I've just stuck with it this entire time.
1: Love it. Love it. Um, And
0: have you always been in Portland, Oregon? Is that where you were raised? You know, I've been kind of all over the West Coast. I grew up outside of Seattle. I've been in Portland for a long time. So I consider myself really, you know, a Pacific Northwest guy. That's, that's really my, my comfort zone and have enjoyed it for a long time. I love it,
1: man. I love the Pacific Northwest. I tell people all the time, it's just incredible when you get there. You've never seen shades of green like you do when you get off the plane in, in Portland or really anywhere around the Pacific Northwest. It's so beautiful, so lush. It's a
0: beautiful place of, you know, it's a great community to, to live in and, and raise a family. And uh, we've enjoyed it for a long time.
1: Very good. Very good. Yeah. Those shades of green do come at a price though, right? It takes it's a lot of a water. It's a little rainy at times, <laughs>
0: <laughs> but that's okay. We you, know, no like,
1: like I, you and I have talked, I spent a, a little time in Portland shortly after high school in my early college years. And I lived there one year. I was doing part-time bicycle messenger work, Jamie. Portland, Oregon, and I swear it rained for 100 days.
0: I believe it. I believe <laughs> it. It's just—it's a good excuse to make sure you have good rain gear and footwear, and you know all that stuff. Exactly. No umbrellas in Portland.
1: <laughs> all right, man. So you've been in banking for quite a while now, and and you know onto your current opportunity, you're working with Meriwether, and you guys focus on private credit. Tell us a little bit about that. Um, what does that mean?
0: Sure. So, you know, something I just really appreciated kind of along the way in my banking career was that I always just saw this kind of niche of businesses that I felt like should have access to capital, but based on how banks are structured, just couldn't couldn't quite get there. And that doesn't make the business a bad borrower per se. It just means that, you know, banks and credit unions and other uh, lenders kind of have their box. And if you fit within it, great. If you don't, you know, it's kind of a yes or no. It's not really much of an in-between. And I felt like there's opportunities there for quality businesses where on a risk-adjusted basis, someone could price those loans and structure them in a way that worked for the borrower and for the lender. And that's kind of the basis for the idea of Meriwether Group Capital. I would also share that private credit is not, not like I created private credit. It's existed for a long time. The kind of lending we do is a little bit of a hybrid between venture debt and mezzanine lending, both of which exist, existed before me. But the other thing I really noticed was that most of these lenders who are focused on private credit had a much uh, greater starting point than we did. So if you're a business that needed a little bit of subordinated debt or kind of fit outside the box of banking and you need need to borrow, let's say, seven or eight or nine million or more. There's a number of lenders I could introduce you to, but if you want to borrow 5 million or less, it's just kind of a rough number, you know, good luck. There's just not a lot of lenders who are doing that. So that's kind of what we saw is an opportunity for loan demand in the space of quality loans and in the size range that others were just maybe too small for. And I understand you know why that is, but that's what I really love. And that's kind of the core kind of small business that we enjoy working with kind of fits in that. Uh, box, which is the whole idea for why we formed our Meriwether Group Capital. So as part of the process, when you're you know, issuing these loans
1: or speaking with companies that are interested in or in need of capital, I imagine that's like a much more intimate process than the traditional lending experience. Um, how does sure, Meriwether sure. step into that?
0: Yeah, I mean, so first of all, decides the size of loans we're doing, and the average loan on our books today is about a million and a half. So that kind of gives you some scale of what we're working on. We tried to do things kind of $5 and less, and that's kind of our average. So at that size, you know, the underlying businesses, you know, it really depends on the business, but has gross revenues, you know, maybe a couple million bucks a year up to maybe 50. So these are kind of core, small business, sometimes people say kind of emerging middle market. And, you know, at that size of business, these are typically closely held businesses, so they're not publicly traded for the most part. They're not sponsored deals by like private equity, although occasionally we see those. They're, you know, founder owned. So we're dealing with the owner, founder, CFO, you know, oftentimes, you know, they're partners in the business directly. So we're very, very close to and develop really close relationships with those who really created the business. In most cases, these are first generation businesses, maybe second in a couple of cases. And so you know, we're working with the person who was the visionary for the business to begin with. As we look at these businesses, we take a really, uh, maybe holistic is kind of an overused word a little bit, but that's what we do is a holistic approach to underwriting where we're looking at kind of traditional commercial credit underwriting financial analysis, looking at in income statements and balance sheets, thinking about what's going on in the industry around them. But then we're really taking a deep dive with the people behind it. So the things you can't see on paper, we're on site with these people. We're walking the machine shop floor, for example, seeing how clean or dirty it is. We're face to face with the founders. And you know, something that's really more of the, kind of the art and not the science is, you know, I learned a long time ago, you gotta stare into the whites of someone's eyes to know if they're gonna pay you back or not. And that's really hard to find on a piece of paper. And you know, while that's definitely part of the art and not just science, uh, you know that is part of our process
1: that's really cool man it actually reminds me of a type of banking that i've never experienced in my life but you know you see it in the movies
0: yeah i mean there do, it does exist where you're actually interacting with people face to face although i guess maybe covid has a little bit more zoom you know involved than we used to but that's what we do we're not just kind of hiding behind you know email and phones and things like that we're in the trenches with our borrowers and You know, I would say that our underwriting, it doesn't stop when we close a loan. I mean, we're getting, for the most part, financial reporting every month for every borrower, and we're not just getting it and filing it away somewhere. We're actually looking at it. And so we're staying really close to these borrowers from, you know, the time of inception all the way through maturity of the loan. We do it in part to ensure, you know, we have a good credit, but also to be there as really a guide and a helper and uh, a resource to our
1: borrowers. It's a different type of lending, honestly. I mean, we work in the alternative space. So you think of, when you think of venture capital, you think of that hands-on approach to assisting an operator outside of just capital. And so I, I think it's really neat to hear more about you know, the business model and just private credit in general. We've been in a certain economic situation for the last 10 plus years with really low interest rates. Things have changed pretty rapidly in the last six to 12 months. How's that impacted your business and how you approach lending?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, here's maybe a few observations in no particular order. And I, I'd start by saying really the interest rate environment really doesn't impact us that much because our pricing is really a function of supply and demand and, and not where the market is going. And you know, I would share with you which we can dive into more is that we have really, really strong loan demand of quality borrowers. So that really kind of helps us make sure that we're getting good credit quality and good pricing. When interest rates eventually start to fall, I don't know how much of an impact that will have on us as long as loan demand is still there. But as I think about just kind of where are loans coming from in general and how are kind of other banks reacting, the I have been in, I guess, lending in one form or another for 30 years. So over that time, I think I've navigated through like four recessions, I think. <laughs> uh, and you know, I've seen this cycle before where there doesn't necessarily have to be a downturn in the economy. But if there's a sense of uncertainty at all, large banks get more conservative. And that's human nature. I've seen it before. It's not necessarily a bad thing. But if there's kind of a whiff of challenge, then, you know, inherently large banks get more conservative. What typically has happened in the past is that when that has happened, Smaller lenders, think regional banks, community banks, typically pick up that slack. But what's happened this time around that's different than what's in the other three recessions I experienced is kind of a run on deposits. And so think about, you know, there was two big bank failures, uh, Silicon Valley Bank, First Republic, neither of which were due to credit quality; they were based on liquidity management, which is really unusual because in the history of banking, the number one reason banks fail is credit quality, and this was not. That issue with either of them, in my opinion. What's happened is that there's been kind of this run on deposit challenge with smaller banks. Smaller banks who normally would pick up the slack are in some cases now finding themselves with insufficient capital to lend against. So if you're a business, your big bank is saying no, your small bank wants to do it, but doesn't have enough capital, what do you do? Now, I would layer on top of that one more kind of recent phenomenon. and I can't remember the stats offhand but covid you know frankly was a great creator of new business and you know we've kind of experienced this great resignation and quiet quitting and these things and there were more businesses i believe formed during the onset of covid than kind of in the history of small business now not all those businesses succeed but some have and so if you now fast forward you know 3 years later some of these businesses which are now EBITDA positive or profitable or seeking credit where do they go And so when you kind of boil all that together, you know, it's a great time to be in private credit. Yeah, it's boom time, huh? Well, I mean, we see, um, I mean, we're a really small shop. We try to do like one or two transactions a month. And right now I get about a call a day. So I'm looking at maybe 20 a month. Now, not all those are qualified, but many of them are. And so, you know, we need to pick and choose those. We can't help. We try to steer them maybe somewhere else. Uh, but we're certainly seeing more opportunities than we have kind of the capital or capacity to manage uh, right now, which is in some ways is a good thing. Although in some ways, you know, we hate to say no to to good opportunities. Yeah. Uh,
1: I'm curious, is there a specific or do you see trends in the markets um, where this type of lending is popular or who's seeking loans? Is there specific niches that you tend to work in or
0: Yeah. I mean, I'll tell you kind of what we don't do and what we do do. (laughs) And then maybe how that relates to a few of our peers. And, you know, frankly, there aren't a lot of peers in our space. So first of all, we try to not work with companies where we can't easily understand how they make money and how they're going to pay us back. So that's pretty easy because if I sit in, a you know, with a borrower and they explain their business, if I don't get it in really kind of seventh grade language, then forget it. I'm not going to do the deal because we have to assume, you know, on that worst case scenario, we might end up owning this business. And if I don't know how they make money, then that doesn't seem like a good idea. So you know, we avoid things like that, and that frankly eliminates, you know, a fair number of tech companies which we don't really love. Although there's lots of them, and some are very good, uh, we stay away from things like bioscience where, you know, it's, there's really not a cash flow cycle there until the very end. And then the other thing we avoid is things where we don't want to be on the front page of a newspaper. So we don't do things like crypto, which again, there's nothing wrong with that. It's just we don't want to be in that space and I don't really understand it. Uh we don't do adult entertainment, we don't do cannabis, which is not you know, necessarily illegal, but we just don't want to do it. And we find ourselves with enough quality loans that, you know, we kind of avoid avoid these other things. So the companies we do like to work with, you know, for the most part, are kind of loosely in the manufacturer, wholesale distribution space. So we'd like companies that make stuff. We like both B2B, B2C type businesses. These are ones that are profitable and or EBITDA positive. And they're looking for capital usually for one of two reasons. One is kind of permanent working capital to help accelerate growth. And then the other would be for acquisition finance, buying a competitor or something like that. So within my peer group, you know, other private lenders who are kind of in the same dollar size, I do know of let's say one who really focuses only on tech. So that's great. I can refer them to those guys, others who might kind of dabble in some of these other harder to understand businesses. So, you know, the competitive pressure is not significant in our size, you know, knock on wood. And we find that we can either find a home for them with us or easily refer them, you know, to someone who might have an interest. Yeah, that's
1: awesome. And as you mentioned, there's not a lot of competition with the type of lending that you're doing. And it seems to be a really great market how long have you guys been operating
0: the fund that you use to make yeah, these loans? So, yeah. So we launched this in the very beginning of 2022. So we're really just in our second year of operations. We have, I guess, technically uh, six complete quarters under our belt. So we're still in qu- you know, quarter seven in our uh, life cycle. While there's certainly lessons learned, I would say that it's come very well. Uh, kind of fast forward to today, we have a good portfolio of borrowers. They're appreciative of what we do, performing. I'm not concerned about, you know, overly concerned about credit quality with any one borrower. And then on our fund side, which we haven't really explored yet, but I'm happy to, we've grown that since inception and we have a good group of investors who have joined us to help kind of support this group of businesses. That's
1: great. Now the loans, you guys focus geographically
0: yeah um i mean somewhat we will go anywhere in the um you know got to be domiciled in the united states mm-hmm. which is a pretty broad yeah. <laughs> area uh, and we'll, while we'll go anywhere we tend to see most opportunities in the western united states mostly because our networks are there and so we get referrals oftentimes from other commercial banks where we can be really friendly compliment not a competitor to them. Mm-hmm. We get referrals from investment bankers who are working on transactions where there's like one more churn of EBITDA needed to support the transaction, um, and then from other mezzanine-type lenders who might run into something smaller than they can handle. Uh, and you know a lot of our networks are in the Pacific Northwest, so I think today about 90 percent of our loans are, I'll say, in the West Coast. Having said that, we're working on one in Florida, one in, outside of Boston, so you know we'll, we're willing to go where good loans can be found. Awesome. Well,
1: when you come out to Boston, you'll have to look me up and we'll go get a lobster roll, Jamie. <laughs> there you go. Love lobster roll. <laughs> awesome, man. You know, so we talked about this a little bit and I'd love if you would elaborate on it. This partnership that you go into through private credit when you're entering into these types of engagements, how involved do you get? I mean, you mentioned that it's more than just they're making their loan payment. But are you visiting these places? Are you going in and checking up on on an ongoing basis, or is that just during the
0: evaluation? Yeah, I mean, yeah. So I would say it, it depends. I mean, we're st- certainly um, in touch with these borrowers for the most part monthly from kind of exchange of financial information. You know, it really kind of depends on how the business is performing. If, if it's performing fine, we have no issues. You know, I'm not going to pop in on someone. That's not a, a good use of their time or mine. But I always like to be a resource to them. And you know, frankly, a lot of the lending we do qualifies as what I would call kind of bridge type financing. So we're there, we don't do five year or 10 year plus loans. Our average duration of our loans are 18 months. So we're there generally to help them identify an opportunity, solve it, kind of get in and get out. And while we do underwrite to recurring cash flow, for the most part, our source repayment is an event, with an event being either of the balance sheet by a more traditional lender or an equity raiser, maybe even a sell company. So the part where we get involved kind of post-closing oftentimes is helping them with, okay, you wanted to take on a new product with the goal of increasing EBITDA so that you could sell the company in two years. Well, who are the investment bankers you should be talking to to kind of help you set up for that? So those are the kinds of things where we get involved. Or hey, they've grown geographically and now they needed our help because there was kind of a story, but now they want to take on a traditional banking relationship. Who is a good bank that you should talk to? You know, those are the kinds of things where uh, we dip into our kind of a uh, Rolodex and try to make those kinds of connections and be a, you know, a resource. And, you know, this is one of those weird businesses where, you know, the product that we sell, we want it back. So think about, you know, industries where the, seller wants their product back. Well, lending is one of them. And so we can help ensure that by making sure they're keyed up for success where, where they're going to go and what our source repayment is going to be. That's very cool. And I think you
1: know, but you know, a, a large part of our audience are financial advisors who are allocating capital on behalf of their clients. And um, I see almost twofold here for our audience with Meriwether. One is an opportunity to allocate to a fund for private credit. The other is an awesome referral source. A lot of financial advisors we speak to have clients that are small business owners um, that are constantly looking for opportunities like this. So, you know, I I put that out there to our audience that this is a cool opportunity and a great resource that you can have in your pocket when you have those small business owner clients that might be in need of uh, a short-term capital.
0: Absolutely. You know, I've been doing this for a long enough time that I'm always happy yeah, this is what I tell those who kind of refer business to us, which we're really appreciative of, is I'm always happy to be a resource. If you have a potential borrower, you're not sure what to do with, you're not sure where to send them. start with me. Even if you don't think I can do the loan, I'm happy to invest 30 minutes with them. If I can't do it, I probably know someone who can. And if that helps you as the advisor, let's say, kind of solidify your relationship, well, then it's win-win. And, you know, even if I can't do it, it's not like it's not a good use of my time. These things always come full circle in life. I found in having just been in lending so long, you know, I can usually kind of triage an opportunity pretty quickly and figure out, is it a good fit for me, someone else, or, you know, maybe it's, they need something beyond lending. And so I'm always happy to, you know, be that kind of resource. You know, on, on the fund side, I would share that we're definitely in capital raising mode. Our fund is evergreen. It's open-ended. We try to stay pretty fully deployed into loans at all times. And of our assets under management today, which is just under 14000000 million, we're like 97% deployed into loans. So we have loans lined up that we would like to make where we're awaiting additional capital, either through investments or other loans paying down. And so it's a great time to get involved because we have such a, a backlog of good opportunities that, you know, good pricing and good structure that we'd like to do as many of these as we
1: can. That's great. And for anybody listening who's curious and wants to learn more about the Hero Fund that Meriwether runs, it's available. There's a data room set up um, with digital onboarding through the Mammoth platform. So you can learn a lot about the fund right there. Um, You can actually enroll clients and complete the subscription process right through the Mammoth platform. Um, It's an awesome opportunity. Um, We're really excited to have you as a partner, Jamie.
0: Well, us too. I mean, this is uh, you guys have been great for us, you know, to put in our kind of shameless plug here, but we're trying to expand our universe of those who can benefit from our fund. It's really kind of an income style strategy. So this is not a growth fund. We're never gonna have 20 or 30% upside or downside. This is all about capital preservation and then a recurring income stream, which we do through a quarterly distribution. Our target returns 10% annually, which is above market, I believe for kind of private credit of this size. And we're really proud that we've exceeded that return every quarter since inception of the farm. Wow. So, you know, for those who are looking for a little bit, of yield upside diversification into commercial credit and with a modest, you know, you know my opinion, a modest degree of credit risk, uh, this can be a great diversification tool. That's amazing. Well,
1: congratulations. And before we wrap up this episode of the pod, I was wondering if there's any takeaways
0: you want to leave with our audience. Well, I mean, I, I, um, recognize, especially with registered investment advisors, I think there's an increasing amount of inquiries and maybe pressure from their clients to explore alternative investments, which is a really daunting space, frankly, and has a lot of different verticals within it. I mean, private credit is just one of many things in the alternative investment space. And so I recognize that it's hard for some RIAs to kind of know where to start and know where to go. And so that's why I definitely appreciate uh, what you guys are doing at Mammoth, we're really proud to be part of that, and just in a way that kind of helps organize, you know, the research platform for either investors directly or RAs who are doing this on behalf of their investors. I, I do feel like private credit is in a good space. It's not without risk, as is most things in life, but I feel like the return is worth it on a you know adjusted risk basis, and yeah, uh, you know, we're excited about where we're going. And uh, we see a pretty rosy uh, future ahead. Awesome.
1: Well, Jamie, it's been uh, real great to have you on the show today. Thanks for sharing your story. Thank you, everybody, for listening to this episode of the Alternative Universe. This podcast is brought to you by Mammoth Technology and produced by Turncast. If you like the show, consider sharing it with a friend. You can subscribe to future episodes in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to this episode right now. For more information about Mammoth
0: Technology and Alternative Universe, visit us at mammothtechnology.com.